This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Atlanta. Defined by grace, grace, grace community, community, and, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. There's debate about who this well-known quote should actually be attributed to, but the point should not be lost. This is encouraging people. Remember things that have gone wrong in the past that have been harmful, that have been destructive, and use that so you can move toward the future in a different way, in a better way. The key is not just remembering the past, but working to understand it so that you can grasp the warning signs it offers and pair that with a desire to do better and to change. This phrase could very well be Zachariah's tagline for the first six chapters of this book. Because Israel is at this key turning point, and God wants them to set their sights on the past wisely as a way to guide how they will walk into their future. God wants his people to take note of things that they did before and remember where it landed them as he encourages them to, this time, do it differently. We see in Zechariah 1.1, it says, In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Edo. And when we read this, we're reminded of something, because Jeremiah had previously prophesied about them being in a 70-year exile. And the dates in Zechariah 1.1 tell us that these 70 years now are up. So enter Zechariah. Zechariah was not just a prophet, but he was a priest, and he's talking to the exiles as they they are returning from Babylon to Jerusalem. So God's people, after being captured and taken over by a foreign power, are finally freed up to go home. Imagine how this should or could feel for them. After the devastation, the pain of being conquered, taken away, they are finally released to go back. It should be a time of excitement and celebration and hope. They are getting some of their autonomy back, a return to their culture and a return to their identity. Yet, life in the homeland is not smooth. This return ends up being a lot of work and there are a lot of challenges along the way. They've been so anxious to be back for 70 years, so why is it so hard? The reestablishing is hard, the pressure of rebuilding is heavy, and there is a lot of opposition. There are people that want them to fail. And as we know can happen when things are harder than expected and add to it for them, their being and their identity had been shaped by others for so long. The temptation to just throw in the towel, the temptation to go to other things for identity and fulfillment can become too much. When the human spirit is pressured like this, it is often this key moment of decision. Which path are you going to take in response to that? And here is where God's people have often not chosen the right direction in the past. So at this time, God has Zechariah bring the reality of how their story is a cautionary tale. God's people had failed in the past when the pressures and the temptations of the world became too heavy. 
they fail to go the way of God. And so God in his kindness has Zechariah remind them of their history as a way to help them course correct before they go down that exact same path again. Remember Israel where you went wrong. Remember what happened as a result of your choices because you are in danger of repeating the past. And God in his kindness doesn't just stop at don't do it again. He also tries to lead them toward the way to realign. Repent now. Renew your covenant relationship with me now so that you can, in the future, work toward rebuilding space and place. This isn't just stop going one way, but replace it with a better way, a way of spiritual renewal, the way of God. So in Zechariah chapter 1, verses 2 through 6, we read, The Lord was extremely angry with your ancestors. So tell the people, this is what the Lord of armies says, return to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies, and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Do not be like your ancestors. The earlier prophets proclaimed to them, this is what the Lord of armies says, turn from your evil ways and your evil deeds, but they did not listen or pay attention to me. This is the Lord's declaration. Where are your ancestors now? And do the prophets live forever? But didn't my words and my statutes that I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? So the people repented and said, as the Lord of armies decided to deal with us for our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. So we see here at the beginning that as God's people are starting to do the same thing as the generations before, God comes in just full force with this warning. I was angry with them. They didn't pay attention to me and they were overtaken because of it. You're setting down that path. They were living in the consequences of the sins of their ancestors. And one would think that that enough should be a warning to not repeat. But really, we should be the last people to judge the Israelites for continuing in the sins of their ancestors. Our God doesn't want his people to be enslaved to those generational sins, those things that keep repeating themselves. So he warns them and he tells them there is a way out. There is a different way. Return to me and I will return to you. Returning to God when you are moving in opposition to him requires repenting. This isn't passive, but this is an active response to God's call. Not this way, that way. For to turn to God, you must turn away from where you were going. The people here, hearing these reminders of the past, are moved by God's warning. When God gives these reminders of sin in the past, it's not to rub our faces in it. It's not to heap on shame and guilt, but rather it is so that we can receive them as a catalyst to repent and go a better way. We have a choice in how we receive that. For rejecting the sinful ways of the past is not just God calling us out of a destructive cycle. It is God calling us to something better, to him, to what is good, to what is loving, to the best for us. So from here, 
to further reiterate his point, God gives Zachariah a series of dreams that feel a little bit like fever dreams at times, but God speaking in dreams, even kind of crazy dreams, is consistent with what he has done before in scripture. Using dreams to explain events from a spiritual perspective, giving a window to the future. The structure of the dreams in chapters one through six is pretty unique. They're, they're in these pairs, and they kind of start with pairings in chapters one and six, and then they move inward until you have chapters three and four paired up. So the first pairing is in chapter one, verses eight through 17, and chapter six, verses one through eight. In these two passages, you have horsemen patrolling the earth, and Zechariah straight up asks in both chapters, what are these? And we see that they represent God's watch over the nations as he is seeking to bring peace upon the earth. Chapter one, verse 11 says, we've patrolled the earth and right now the whole earth is calm and quiet. Chapter six, verse eight says, those going to the land of the north have pacified my spirit. This theme of peace and God seeking it out would have struck them because their history was one in which their peace was disturbed because of their sin. They were sent into exile. Peace is affected by the actions of people in this space of our earth. And as God is the definition of peace, to follow him and go his way is to cultivate peace in this space. So as the people are on the precipice of maybe moving away from God again, which means a moving away from peace, God sends out his patrol to seek it. The peace of the world is at stake when we move away from God and his ways. The Israelites could think in their recent history of how their moving away from God had affected not just peace for themselves, but peace upon the earth. Sin, is a peace disruptor. You cannot bear forth real restorative peace apart from God. So God here is reminding them, this is a result of your sin, your inability to cultivate peace on the earth before. And then he continues with this by explaining more specifically how the peace was disrupted. The next dream pairing is chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, and 5, 5 through 11. So in chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, we read, Then I looked up and saw four horns. So I asked the angel who was speaking with me, What are these? Very much appreciate Zechariah just straight up for our benefit, asking what these things mean. And he said to me, These are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen, I asked, what are they coming to do? He replied, these are the horns that scattered Judah, so no one could raise his head. These craftsmen have come to terrify them, to cut off the horns of the nations that raised a horn against the land of Judah to scatter it. So horns in scripture that often show up in dream sequences, we have it in Daniel, we have it in Revelation, often represent nation states that are enemies of Israel. So here we have two sets of horns, Assyria and Babylon, who God had allowed to come in because of Israel turning away from him. 
And then the craftsman that comes in and scatters those horns is Persia. We have three different nations at play here. So remember Israel, how the nations come against you. Consequences of you going your way instead of God's way. This is how the peace is disrupted. And then in chapter 5, verses 5 through 11, a little bit of an extra strange part of the dream, it says, Then the angel who is speaking with me came forward and told me, Look up and see what this is that is approaching. So I asked, What is it? He responded, It's a measuring basket that is approaching. And he continued, This is their iniquity in all the land. Then a lead cover was lifted, and there was a woman sitting inside the basket. This is wickedness, he said. He shoved her down into the basket and pushed the lead weight over its opening. Then I looked up and saw two women approaching with the wind in their wings. Their wings were like those of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between earth and sky. So I asked the angel who was speaking with me, where are they taking the basket? To build a shrine for it in the land of Shinar, he told me. When that is ready, the basket will be placed there on a pedestal. So this is supposed to be a continued explanation of the specifics of the consequences of their sin, specifically how it involves other nation states. So the woman in the basket is supposed to be the symbol of centuries of Israel's rebellion, years of violating their relationship with God, here she is called wickedness, and she is carried to Shinar, or Babylon, because of her wickedness. God is good by definition, and God is the one who defines what is good. So anytime you are going to what is outside of him, it is, in essence, wicked. And I think we balk at that word. It's hard to think of ourselves as being wicked. But God created what is so good, and we broke from that. To operate apart from him in that is wickedness. And there are consequences. There was for Israel. So don't forget Israel, where your wickedness carried you away. The next dreams, in a little bit of a more hopeful turn, have to do with the rebuilding and reestablishing of a future now that God has brought them back. Israel being able to come back after exile and everything that they had done should be actually deeply encouraging to us right now. That after veering so far off course that God gives them another chance. Remember what they've done. Consider what we have talked about as we have moved through the prophets. They gave up on worshiping God and they worshiped idols and themselves and their accomplishments. They oppressed the poor, the marginalized, and the immigrant. They built themselves up through injustice. There's pride and selfishness and obsession with wealth, and they're drunk on their power, and there's violence and gluttony. They were suppressing the flourishing of others in order to gain comfort and security for self. Age-old sins, our sins. And God said, here are the consequences of you going that way. But once you've dealt with those consequences for a while, I'm going to give you a chance to do it again, and this time do it right. All of that for all those years, 
against God they acted, against other image bearers, against the earth. God really should tap out on us. And instead, here he says, with all the destruction from your sin, I'm going to give you the opportunity to rebuild, to set right, to change your path, and to do it differently this time. So God explains more of how he is planning on doing this. In Zechariah chapter 2, 1 through 13, and chapter 5, 1 through 4. In chapter 2, 1 through 13, you have God rebuilding Jerusalem and making it back into the place where he dwells on the earth with his people. There is joy and gladness, and his people are safe from their enemies again. So much has gone wrong, and they have not been safe because of it, but God has made a way for things to return to how it should be. And then in chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, there's this flying scroll. Scroll, not squirrel. There's a flying scroll which has written on it, what has the power to punish those who are liars and thieves? And those who are condemned by the words on the scroll have their own place to go. And they have to stay in a place of destruction. They have no place in the restoration in this new Jerusalem in chapter two. So this pairing demonstrates the new Jerusalem, the place of rebuilding and restoration for those who are truly returning to God. It's protected by God and from those who are false. They have no place there. They can't fool their way into being a part of restoration. God makes the way for those who are genuine in returning to him. He is faithful to those who are seeking to really make it right. And then the final dreams in chapters three and four and are also connected to the end of chapter six, nod to this future messianic catalyst for real, final, ultimate change and renewal. These dreams bring in Joshua as the high priest and Zerubbabel, the royal descendant of David, so that we have kingly and priestly leaders in the new city. Joshua in this beautiful example is wearing Israel's sin in the form of dirty clothes and God comes in with fresh new clothes. What God's grace does to make us new and clean. And this all happens through what is to come. So in chapter three, verses eight through 11, we read, listen, high priest Joshua, you and your colleagues sitting before you, indeed, these men are a sign that I am about to bring my servant, the branch. Notice the stone I have set before Joshua. On that one stone are seven eyes and I will engrave an inscription on it. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. And I will take away the iniquity of this land in a single day. And on that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. And then in chapter six, verse 12, we read, you are to tell him this is what the Lord of armies says. Here is a man whose name is Branch. He will branch out from this place and build the Lord's temple. Yes, he will build the Lord's temple. He will be clothed in splendor and will sit on his throne and rule. 
There will also be a priest on his throne, and there will be a peaceful council between the two of them. And then in chapter 15, the people who are far off will come and build the Lord's temple, and you will know that the Lord of armies has sent me to you. This will happen when you fully obey the Lord your God. So in all of this, as we seek to change, as he is trying to encourage the people to seek to change, he is casting this hope in the future. This is where they're supposed to anchor themselves. This is where we are supposed to anchor ourselves, that we have a God who will ultimately transform and change all that is broken through this branch, through this Messiah, who for them is coming and for us has already come wiping away our sin in a single day. And the way for us to be a part of it as a people changed by God is to repent, to turn from our ways of living and moving and walking that are in opposition to Him. And bonus, going God's way is the way to freedom. It's the way to what is best for us and those around us. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So what God is laying out here for the Israelites and for us is really the path to redemption. Turn away from the old. Turn away from what brought you into captivity and instead turn toward the new, what brings you to freedom. And this path to redemption is marked by repentance and it is paved by the grace of God. Repentance is the catalyst for us to be on the trajectory to be freed up to be transformed by him. And this is not a one-time thing. This is sanctification, and sanctification isn't just this ride we catch along the way. It requires our activity. To avoid repeating the past, you have to be active. If you're passive, then you're just going to revert to your default, and thanks to the fall, our default isn't great. The rhythm of our life, is to, with God initiating and God providing the way that we listen and receive and work out our salvation with fear and trembling, heeding the warnings of the past. And in this with Israel, we can hold this wonder. It is that when we are so unfaithful repeatedly that our God remains faithful. Israel was tough on God. And he is so gracious here to try to keep them from digging themselves into the same hole that they did before. He could say, here you guys go again, good riddance. But he doesn't. And this is the long-suffering, steady, loving God who to us also says there's a better way. And while God's posture to us in that should be striking, I think oftentimes where we struggle here is giving others that freedom and space to take another path and to change. We struggle often, I think, with trusting the work of the Spirit to get it done for other people, especially for those who have caused us pain, who have wronged us or wronged those we love. This is a conviction that we should feel deeply, I feel deeply, considering how I wouldn't be here right now if not for massive transformation that God initiated and worked out in my life in ways he caused me to change. How is it that it's sometimes easier for us to accept that for ourselves, to receive such a wonder and work of God 
and yet refuse to embrace and trust the capacity of our God to do that work for others while giving them the grace and the space to do so. Now, of course, we take heed with wisdom here. This doesn't mean where we are harmed or it's not safe or where certain people are so unhealthy for us that we are martyrs and we stay there. If anything, the church has been quite guilty of trying to root people in that place, and that's destructive and that's evil. We absolutely protect ourselves and others. So please hear me in this when I say, this is something that we walk through with wisdom, preferably in good community. And you cannot and do not hang with certain people who are in various ways destroying you, manipulating you, and taking advantage of you. God doesn't have that as his best for his children. That's not flourishing. But are there people not in that category who have demonstrated repentance, who have made efforts, who have attempted to right some of their wrongs, not perfectly, but there are glimpses, there's movement, and you will not budge in giving them the grace and space to change whether just in your perception of them or in your real relationships. Take care here, lest you develop a hard heart when it comes to God's capacity to change people. For if you do, then you have put a cap on the power of the cross because that is the agent of transformation. For if you keep your heart hard in this way, it is an affront to God's grace. And it is also an affront to the grace others may have shown you when they have received you as you have sought to right your wrongs. That's a category we probably all fit into. Not only is it a reality that probably none of us would be here if not for God's second, third, fourth chances for us to change and his grace ushering us along the way. But most of us would also not be here if not for some of his followers that have come alongside us in the process. We need Christ-like community also to receive us in that and give us the grace and the space to work it out with them. What if everyone in the early church completely canceled a man named Saul and they would have had very legit reasons to do so and refused to let him ever prove himself? Think of how much of the work of God they would have missed out on. And maybe some of them did. Not only are you presuming upon God's grace when you won't let others change, but you may miss out on some incredible works of the spirit and movement of God in the world. And this is hard. There are times when the toll that people can take on us can cause such damage that we will spend months, years, maybe even the rest of our lives trying to work that out for ourselves. There are times when the ways people have wronged us have maybe even made us struggle with our identity as belonging to God. Some people may never deserve your grace, but you didn't deserve God's either, and he did not hold back. To not allow others to become different than they were before when God does, is something we must take care to not fall into, for that's a form of captivity. As God's people, 
who have been transformed and empowered to continue to live lives of change while we are here, we are to be a people that ushers that in for others, ushers that in for our community, and ushers that in maybe even for the worst of the worst. And we can do this because we are not rooting our hope that people can change in us, in them, or even in our best expectations. But we root our hope that people have the capacity to change in a God who has proven repeatedly that it is in his nature to transform and restore. We go to him with our hope for restorative change and transformation. And we ground ourselves in him when it seems awfully slow to come. So we hold fast to our God who has the power and the grace to make us different, to take us down another path, to make us new, to help us not repeat the sins of our past so that we can be a part of restoration in the future. Our God who has given us this means through his son. His son is the only reason that we can even have this option to take the path that is the best for us, the way that leads us back to him. And we ready ourselves in community to image him in this by giving others that grace and that space to change as well. And we do this by his words, by his power, and by the work of his spirit. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your words through your servant, Zachariah. We thank you for these deep examples in the past of how you were so faithful for your people, even when they were unfaithful to you. And I thank you, Father, for the ways that that has resonated with us as your people now that when we are wayward, that when we stumble, that when we deliberately move away from you, that you are still steadfast, loving, good, and that your desire is for us to come back to you, that you will never shun us or push us away. Forgive us, Father, for all the ways that we live in a manner in which we are constantly taking that for granted. And so I ask for us in community, for us individually, that you would help us to be more mindful of the depth of your grace to us and the ways that you are ushering us into a way where we can change, not for the sake of us just becoming better people, but for the sake of us coming back to the way that you originally created us to be. So that ultimately, Father, we are not even about ourselves, but that we are a people that is rightly and fully imaging and demonstrating you and honoring and glorifying you in that. We love you, in your name we pray, amen. Please hear the benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine, to him be glory both in the church and in Christ Jesus, now and forever, amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father.
Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.